we were on one of the interstates here in South Carolina when a cargo van um, traveling the opposite direction from us blew out a tire and he lost control of his steering and crossed over the grassy median between the two highways and our car was in his path. That accident took the lives of my parents and four of my siblings and one of the girls staying with us as well. On Life Repurposed, you'll find a blend of practical wisdom and biblical inspiration that's designed to help you navigate everyday life with faith, purpose, and hope. We focus on personal and spiritual growth with a range of topics from improving your relationships and discovering your purpose to setting and achieving goals, plus tools and resources to help you live your repurposed life. I'm your host, Michelle Rayburn, the author of books and Bible studies about finding hope in the trashy stuff of life. Caitlin Odom Fiedler was eight years old when she woke up alone in a hospital room, the victim of a horrible car accident that claimed the lives of six of her family members as they traveled on their way to vacation at the beach. Left with only one living brother, young Caitlin was left with the question, what now? How do you find hope after loss? Twenty years later, Caitlin has found her hope and wants to encourage others as they struggle with their own trials. Her book brings a refreshing perspective of hope and will help answer the questions of how to move forward, not just move on, when it seems there is nothing left on which to cling. Readers learn how Caitlin moved from questioning to trusting God in times of sorrow, and they will find hope and healing in their own grief journey along the way. In her book, Caitlin shares her pain, struggle, and personal wrestling with grief, love, and hope with courageous vulnerability. She writes as if she's introducing us to her family, her home, and her hope. She has found Christ sustaining, patient, and present, and introduces him as a friend who introduces another friend. Her value of children, their emotions, grief, and the need to find ways to engage their trauma with or without words reminds us and challenges us to enter in and give space for all. Here's my conversation with Caitlin Fiedler. Caitlin, thank you so much for joining me on Life Repurposed today. Hey, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me. So glad to be here. I'm glad you're here too. And we met kind of randomly through a group of authors and speakers that we're part of. We have this is our first time face to face. We've not met at a conference. And so I don't really know a lot about you. And I love that. I love getting to know something new about people. And I just know from looking at your book a little piece of your story. And my listeners, I think, are going to resonate with some of the struggles that you've been through in their own way. We all have different things. But I want to rewind way back to your childhood. And I'd love to hear a little bit about your early years growing up and some of your memories from childhood. Yes, I would love to start there. And that is the exact place that my book starts, Mm. um, sharing my story. Uh, My book's called What Now? Finding Renewed Life in Christ After Loss. And it is just my journey of finding hope and healing in Christ after a tragic loss. And um, it begins at the very beginning with uh, my my childhood family life. So, so glad to share that with you all today. I was born into a Christian home. Um, there were six of us total, six kids. I was the second to youngest. 
Um, I had a, my brother was the oldest, then twin sisters, then one older sister, a couple of years older than me, then me, then a younger brother. And, um, my mom homeschooled all six of us. My dad worked in the Christian camp conference, um, field. So when I was born, we were living in Colorado and he was working at Trail West Young Life Camp. And then um, around when I was six, we moved to Asheville, North Carolina, and my dad was working at the Billy Graham Training Center there, um, which is a, a conference center. We had the like picture perfect homeschool Christian tight knit family life. And it wasn't like homeschool Christian, like, ultra conservative legalistic. <laughs> it was just like it was a such a sweet and precious childhood. Like we had um around nine acres. We had a garden in, in Asheville when we moved to Asheville. We had lots of animals, um, just did our schoolwork in the morning and then spend the afternoons playing outside, running around in the fun. creek. Yes. So fun. And just all we were, we were super close. It was like little house on the prairie kind of <laughs> lifestyle uh, in the nineties. So that's just kind of the picture. Um, my parents taught me about the Lord just in words, but also just through watching them live and watching them parent. Like they were so intentional. I'm so thankful and just it's such a gift that God gave me parents like them um, for the first eight years of my life, just to learn about the Lord at a really early age. Um, they just really walked the walk. They thought hard about what they believed and why they believed it. And then they made decisions based around their beliefs. And that um, showed mm-hmm. through the way they parented, the way they worked how they disciplined us, how they spoke to us, like every part of their lives. They weren't perfect, but <laughs> they, they just, they taught me so much about God. And there's so many um, small stories that uh, are in my book about just the the little nuggets that I picked up as a child um, from them that just have sick, like huge influence now in my life. I'm 31 now. And so all these years later, now I'm a mom myself mm-hmm. and I'm um, still gleaning from just those early lessons that I learned. Um, and so if you're listening and you're a mom with young kids at home, I just can't stress enough the importance of, you may not think that your children are even listening to you or that they (laughs) care or that, you know, you're having any impact on them, but I am proof that the early years of life are really the most significant years of learning about God and everything. Um, just you're like a sponge, everything, mm-hmm. you just soak it up. And so your work matters so much, your intentionality with them, you know, every, um, every time you discipline them, every time you have conversations around what's right and wrong decisions you make, um, reading 
devotionals to them every day, just the consistency of your lifestyle and the time that you're spending with them and talking to them, they will recall it one day later in their life. And it it matters. So it does. Yeah. Thank you for reminding us of that. Because even though I didn't homeschool my boys when they were at home, we incorporated some of those same principles into our everyday life when we were at home, riding in the car, sitting around the table, and all of those intentional things. And so that's a great reminder, whether we homeschool or whether we work out of the home outside of the home or stay home, um, just being so intentional about those moments. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Not just for homeschool moms, yeah. uh, but just the, the time that you are with them yeah. and uh, all the conversations that you get to have. Yeah. Cause I mean, we don't know, you know, what's going to happen. We don't know what your kids are going to face. We don't know what we're going to face. And so just uh, taking each day and having like slowing down enough mm-hmm. to just have that intentionality and an intentional relationship with your kids is so important. It is. And I know from your bio that you're that little piece of heaven with your family and that secure little house on the prairie existence didn't last for very long. So um, tell our listeners about what you experienced at eight years old. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like I was living in a bubble. Um, Those first eight years of life, I didn't know um, much. I just, God protected me um, from the world in a good way where I just, um, it was just special and sweet and um, really innocent. But it it was a bubble and my, that bubble burst in a way um, when I was eight years old. My parents had been, they, one summer, the summer of 2000, they took in a um, girl from Belarus. She was here through a relief program with a bunch of women or a bunch of girls all throughout the country staying in different host homes. She had never seen the ocean before. She had never visited a beach before. So we had decided to take her to the beach for the first time. And, um, also, a friend of hers who was with another family at the time, what they she came with us on the trip. And so, July of 2000, we were on our way from Asheville, North Carolina to um, South Carolina Beach Coast. And it was my, my parents, all six kids, and then the two girls um, in the car with us. We were on one of the interstates here in South Carolina when a cargo van um, traveling the opposite direction from us blew out a tire and he lost control of his steering and crossed over the grassy median between the two highways and our car was in his path. So he hit us head on and that accident took the lives of my parents and four of my siblings, and one of the girls staying with us as well. Mm. So my brother, my oldest brother, myself, and one of the other girls from the relief program were the only three people who survived the accident. This is, I I can't even imagine. I can't, because um, I can't imagine what a change happens in that instant. Yeah, yeah. Everything that I knew was gone. My whole life 
mm-hmm. completely changed in one instant. Um, I was asleep in the car when the accident happened. So I don't remember anything about the accident itself, but um, I woke up in the hospital days later to find out what had happened. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't believe it at first. I just thought I was dreaming for days, weeks, and even months after that. I thought I was still in this really long dream and just waiting to wake up. My brother and I went to live with our aunt and uncle, um, my mom's brother and his wife and their two daughters, my two cousins became my new family. Mm -hmm. And they, they were living in Greenville, South Carolina. So we moved um, in with them and really started a new life. So kind of in looking back, I see my first eight years of life as Mm -hmm. kind of one life. My life started over. Everything changed. I had to find out who I was all over again, what my purpose was, where my place in the world was. Um, I was no longer, you know, my parents. Well, I was still my parents' daughter, but I was no longer living in their home, um, living that life. It was Mm -hmm. just a new life. So I started school um, for the first time after that. And Um, just had a new family, new church, had to make new friends. Everything was different. And so, you know, now I have such a heart for, though it was a family that I went to live with, um, it wasn't the typical adoption that you would Mm -hmm. imagine um, adopted kids go through, but still just the change and the loss um, children from adoption or hard places go through. I have just such a special heart now for kids who are adopted Mm -hmm. or, you know, have gone through difficult um, childhood, just, it just any big change really, because we all go through change and um, have to learn how to adjust in whole new ways. And so that was what that time was like for me. What was your faith journey like after that? You had grown up with a foundation of faith with your parents. Uh, How was your personal faith affected by this? So I accepted Christ into my life um, through the example of my parents at age six. And I prayed and um, I truly understood, like I felt there was a change and I understood finally like what, that lying was a sin Mm. or um, being mean to your siblings is a sin, not respecting your parents is a sin. Like, Um, I understood that that was wrong and um, that wasn't honoring to God. And so just that little seed was planted then at that point. Um, So then when I was eight, two years later, I really just came to have this very, very special and sweet relationship with the Lord at that time that is really indescribable now um, to have the words, but I was, yes, I was so lonely and grieving and I didn't understand. And I was confused and all those things that you would imagine a kid going through that doubting, angry, uh, just crying and grieving a lot um, to myself. in those early years, but I miraculously only from the Lord and his grace 
never doubted that God wasn't there mm-hmm. because I just came to learn and to experience that he was the only thing that was still the same. Everything else was different. Nothing in my life looked the same or felt the same. Home, friends, family, um, everything was different. But God was still the same God Mm -hmm. that I knew at age six and that my parents knew and that they um, brought us up in. He, I, I like tangibly still felt his presence in my heart and in my life, even in those early years. Like I knew he was there to talk to and to pray to and to cry to, and even to yell at and get angry at and scream at and ask why. And, you know, I, I came to him because I really didn't know who else to go to Mm -hmm. that time. Talk a little bit about asking why and and crying out to the Lord, because in some of our faith circles, we're taught really not to express how we feel to God. And I'd love to hear your perspective on asking why, especially because of the title of your book being What Now? So um, I sense there's a journey there. <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. I could have so much to say about <laughs> feeling like we can't this somehow in our world. It's you know, there's this message out there feeling like we can't express our anger or sadness or grief or go to God and be angry with him or to ask him why, like, or even to ask other people, you know, those questions too, but I don't, I could go off on a tangent about that. <laughs> um, it's so, so good and so important to go to God with our questions. So he is there for us, like for that specifically for us to go to him and ask why and to be angry and to question and, you know, figure things out. Like, who are we going to figure out issues in life with if it's not him? So the whole message of my book, What Now, is this lesson that I learned throughout many, many years of um, asking questions to the Lord. and wrestling hard with him around why, mm-hmm. why do hard things happen? Why my family, why them, why me um, not understanding and just really getting in it with him and wrestling and asking him everything. And so I'm just so thankful that he is there to hear us out yeah. and to, and to, you know, um, show us the truth through our questions. And if we will hear from him, mm-hmm. if we will receive what he has to give us the answers that he has, I really came to learn that why asking why is good and needed, but staying there our whole lives gets us nowhere. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we our whole lives, why, 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 why? I just can't understand. I just can't understand. I can't get past it. I can't get past it. You know, and that's where people get stuck. Like so many yeah. people, Christians are not, you know, just uh, yeah. something, whatever it is, something will happen in their life that they just can't get past and they, it doesn't make sense. And so I'm just going to be angry at God forever. But when we, I came to the point where I realized that 
or God showed me, he revealed to me that if I'm going to move forward in life with purpose, I can't stay in the why me because asking that question is so self-focused and it's inward and it keeps us stuck. But he gave me the question, what now? Um, And asking that question for me was just such a release of a weight Mm -hmm. that I was carrying. So it just helped me um, really like therapeutically just be like, this happened and God tells us that hard things are going to happen. We're not supposed to understand why we don't, we're not entitled to those answers, but we can still trust him. And by asking, by asking him what now it's asking him, how do we, how does he want to use the situation? Our hurt, our pain, our suffering. Um, We can't go back and change it, but (laughs) what now, you know, like what, what will it look like moving forward with, with our stories, with all these hard things? So how, how does he want to use them? And just kind of giving it over to him. And it's very like, um, takes the focus off ourselves and our own issues and just kind of draws our eyes back on him that he is in control and he will use it. And, um, you know, my favorite verse is Romans 8, 28, for we know that in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. And so, um, that verse just has really meant a lot to me throughout the years um, of trusting that it's true, that he really does work all things out for good if we love him and trust and walk in obedience to him. So that's how um, the title came to be and just um, where I'm at. I like that perspective and when I think of it in terms of life repurposed, it's such a great summary, the what now, because sometimes when I talk about my tagline of helping people find hope in the trashy stuff of life, you know, people think that I'm trying to find a reason. And we, the why question is looking for a reason. And the what now is looking for what God is going to make of this rather than trying to figure out why something happened. And so I love that perspective because it's so helpful. Um, it it removes some of the platitudes we use with, um, uh, you know, people who are grieving and saying something like, well, God had a plan for that or a purpose for that. Well, everything happens for a reason. <laughs> right. And it's like, I'm not going to deny his sovereignty, but also... Um, yeah, that those types of statements kind of make you stuck in the why because you have to find it. So I'd love to hear your perspective on the difference between um, looking for what now and moving forward and not being stuck in that. And you talked about being stuck in contrast with what I've heard people say to people who are grieving, almost questioning, like, why are you still grieving? And I'm imagining that grief never, well, I know grief never goes away, but I'm imagining that the what now keeps you moving forward where grief is still sort of a companion in that. Is that an accurate way of saying that? That the grief doesn't exactly go away, but um, God changes a perspective in the midst of it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think 
there's so much pressure when people do experience loss of, I just have to get through it and get to the other side. And, you know, um, after a certain number of months or years down the road, Mm -hmm. like I'll be over it and I'll be able to move on and it'll be done. And I just want to make sure that I'm um, doing all the right steps and the right thing to like get through this and get through my grief. And, you know, I've heard, I've even heard people say, um, it's been two years and I'm still crying. Why I shouldn't, I feel like I shouldn't still be sad. And I'm like, you know, so it's things like that where there's this cultural pressure or, you know, yeah. personal put on ourselves to, um, we should be better. We should feel better. Other people are like thinking or assuming that we should be not sad anymore. Not still having days where it's like still hard to get out of bed or not still, um, having breakdowns in the grocery store. Like that shouldn't happen anymore. We should be better. And, you know, and so, yeah, I just want to tear all that down and just the reality is like you said that we walk forward in life throughout our whole life years and years and years carrying the grief with us and that that is good to do Mm -hmm. oh and when the grief hits us in the grocery store or in church or you know wherever in the car to let ourselves feel it and to know that it's part of the journey and that God gave us those emotions to feel and to not just to tear, I, I want to just tear down this idea that we have to um, stuff it away or, right. you know, why tears fix ourselves up, like not show it that um, we shouldn't be any like shame for crying or feeling guilty around still being sad. Like, we should feel confident and empowered and even like respect our grief. Mm -hmm. It's good to feel and good to carry. And so a counselor told me one time, um, when we cry, we are just showing respect for the person we lost. Mm -hmm. It means it shows us how special that relationship was with that person and when we miss them, we're you know, when we cry, we're crying because we miss them. And that's a good reason to cry and a good thing because we're supposed to miss people and um, feel the void because they're not with us. And we loved that person, you know, and so um, just allowing that into our lives and carrying it with us. And um, as a, I don't know what you would call it, just a, a companion, like, owning it as a part of your story and carrying it. And for me, that, that journey has been like, it's been ups and downs and it's been trying to figure out how much to cry, when to cry, is it okay to cry? You know, like wrestling with asking those questions. So when I was younger, I really didn't, I cried every now and then by myself in my room in private. And I would, I didn't want to show it to anybody. Mm. And when I got older into college and then the couple of years following college, it slowly started to come out more. And I was like, this is good. Like I just started to allow myself to show it more, whether in counseling or in church with friends, like just being a little bit more okay and comfortable with crying publicly. (laughs) And, 
know, and seeing if I could trust the people around me when I was crying and how they reacted and stuff. And so just gradually, like now, I mean, though it still doesn't feel good to cry or it's still not like ever really comfortable, but now I really do feel like I'm at a place where I can say that it's good and that I can let myself at any point, at any time. I really long for others to feel the freedom as well to grieve and to know that it's okay. How about talking with family members or meeting friends? Have you felt a freedom to to talk about your siblings and memories and share those things? I'm thinking about like even on your wedding day and thinking about your parents and your siblings not being there with you. Have you felt that freedom or is that something that in our Christian circles we can improve on more? My family and those around me have really been a great um, support system for sharing memories and talking about my family, um, my my biological family members and um, those I lost. And so, yeah, I do feel like I've had really, really positive moments to remember and reflect on who they were as people and memories and, um, you know, it's been, it's been really sweet. Everyone who knew them, family members or friends of theirs, like all say the exact same things about who they were because they were just, they were the same all the time uh, to everyone they knew. And so people just have like really consistently awesome, sweet memories and things to say about them, which is really, really cool for me to hear because I have those same memories too, you know, but I will say just in, in to answer part of that question, I guess, um, feeling the freedom or the safety to share with other people. That's something that I've had to learn. Like you don't want to share super, super personal, hard things unless you know, it's a safe place. And so, um, yeah, I've, I've had to kind of learn that and figure out what groups of people, what relationships are safe enough to share those really, really personal memories. So for me, that has looked like, um, church community, my family, my husband and I, we have an amazing church community and I have felt so, um, just surrounded with people there who it's really been a huge part of my healing, um, of people who want to hear and ask about them and just really can just listen and um, have given me just the safe space to process and to heal. So I would say second to my own personal counseling, just having a great church community has been such a gift that God has provided me for my healing. That's good to hear. And, you know, the process of writing a book is also kind of cathartic. I know my first book was a memoir and, you know, just telling some little stories, but it's also so vulnerable because now you're opening up that story for anybody who doesn't know your heart as well as all the people around you. And so there's like this vulnerability of putting it out there in the world. So um, I'd love to know about your book, like what made you decide to write it and who did you write it for? Yeah, that's so true. I know I'm talking about um, sharing your story with people who are safe to 
carry it and receive it. And now it's out there for anyone to read. You don't know um, who's going to read it. And so, yeah, it is, uh, it was a huge risk, a huge step of faith for me to do that and to um, be that, like, as I was writing, I could have written a very um, more like topical teaching on grief, like more like self-help, biblical grief principles, like whatever. But I just felt this responsibility, I guess, or calling just to make it super, super real and just to share my personal story and everything um, that all my memories and my emotions and put it all out there. And so mm-hmm. that's what, that's what came out, but I think I needed to write it like that. So that for my own healing, just the mm-hmm. cathartic um, process of not holding anything back and being able to freely write my experience of, and my, and my journey of grief in hopes that someone else out there can feel heard and seen and understood as well through my words and through my honesty and vulnerability. Um, just that's my prayer that other people, you know, our our stories will all look different, but the feelings that we feel inside and the emotions can feel the exact same, no matter what we've been through. And so I just really pray that people don't feel alone through what they're going through. And I, I wanted um, people to feel like I've been there and that there is hope no matter how um, devastating or no matter how hopeless someone might feel. So I wrote my story originally just for my, for my own healing, because I knew I had to like, I don't know if um, y'all have had that feeling of when you're in church or when you're hearing something and, you know, you're just constantly thinking like a step you need to take in your head, like the application of what you're hearing. Like, okay, I'm going to go home after church and I'm going to do this. And that's, you know, uh, mm-hmm. that a nugget you take with you. Well, for years, everything I heard, it was, it could have been, I don't know what the pastor was even preaching on or what the message or podcast was even talking about, but whatever I was receiving through it was the Holy Spirit just saying, share your story, share your story, mm-hmm. share, share your story. Because for so long, I hadn't, I had not talked about it. I have just been super, I'm just going to get through it. I'm going to keep it in. I'm going to keep going, you know, just live my life. And I don't really have to be, nobody really cares that much. I don't have to be that vulnerable. Like it doesn't matter. It's not that big of a deal if I don't share, but I kind of felt like Jonah because for years I was like feeling like I need to write it. I need to write it. I need to write it. And I wasn't. And mm-hmm. so finally, just <laughs> um, y'all might have your own things in your head that you're thinking about. Like, yeah, I keep hearing this one thing too, you know, but uh, I finally just came to the point where I was like, I can't ignore it any longer. I just felt such a huge burden of you have to write your story. And so I guess you could say I just wrote it because I knew the Lord was telling me to mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> the short answer, but it was for healing. And then um, as I started writing and I started learning a little bit more about the publishing world and the Christian author world, and I just became more interested in um, the possibility of it being published. And so yeah, years down the road from when I first started writing it just for myself, um, found a Christian publisher and it was published in April. And so 
now my whole heart behind it um, is just for others to know that there's hope and that whatever it is that you have gone through, just really challenging people to consider how the Lord might use their own personal stories and what steps do you need to take in order to do that. And so, um, you know, whether it's small, like maybe you haven't been to church in a long time and you know, you need community. So like Mm -hmm. going to church, showing up at a church near you on Sunday or going to your doctor because you feel like you might need, you have some mental health issues and you need to talk, talk through, um, that kind of thing with your doctor or your therapist or, you know, taking care, like, there's all kinds of steps that we have in life to take just to um to heal and to process our own stories. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just a huge advocate for people taking those steps in order for them to feel better and to heal and also to be able to help others around them. Yeah, there's so many ways of doing that. And I love that you you have your life is a beautiful example of that. And there may be a listener out there who's like a friend of mine who gave her daughter up for adoption. And during the years before they were reunited, she was volunteering at a pregnancy center and just pouring into women who needed that help with their babies until one day, 20 years down the road, when she gets, you know, that phone call or email or whatever it was that said, I'm looking for my birth mom. And, you know, so there's stories that we all have our own piece of pain that we're turning into something that God can use, even while we're waiting to know if there's a resolution. And speaking of resolution, I love that you've shared your story, Caitlin, because oftentimes we become sort of voyeuristic. We see the news story, the headlines, the clippings of the accident on the highway, and we hear a reporter read in just, you know, straight terms, this is what happened to this family. And we don't know what happens after that. And you telling your story gives us all hope because we can see that you aren't just a news story and your family wasn't just a moment on, you know, a a few days of TV news, but that you are real people and you have a real story and you have a story of hope. And so I love that you're doing that and that you were obedient with the book because it it just gives me a different perspective even when I see the news stories of knowing every one of these that I see on TV every day, there's somebody looking for that hope. So thank you for doing that. I really appreciate that. Where can people find your book? Where, Where can they connect with you? I know your book's on like all the places books are sold, but where can they find you? Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm encouraged. Yeah. Just about uh, others who are on the news and yeah, you're right. You don't know um, what happens to people. And Mm -hmm. yeah, it's uh, my prayer. Every time I hear something, I just, I long for, especially if it's kids involved, I long for them. Find the Lord one day if they don't know him already, Mm -hmm. because that's the only thing, you know, that will help them live a life um, and a full and abundant life. Yeah. So um, people can find me on, I have a blog, a beautiful belonging.com is the website address, a beautiful belonging.com. And I'm on Instagram, um, Caitlin underscore Fiedler. And then a Facebook page, uh, 
a beautiful belonging there as well. And um, my contact info is all on my blog. My book, yeah, is on Amazon and a lot of other um, book places. Oh, one other exciting thing. I just finished recording the audiobook. Oh, yay. <laughs> for my book. So that should be posted soon. I don't know when, but maybe within the next few weeks, it should be available on all the audio listening platforms. I do mostly audiobooks because then I can listen to books while I'm out I, driving somewhere, going for a walk or cooking supper or something like that. Can you give us the full right. title of the book? I will link in the show notes, but just for those listening um, and want to search later, the full title of your book is? Yes, it's What Now? Finding Renewed Life in Christ After Loss. So you can look for Caitlin Odom Fiedler. But again, I'll link in the show notes for people who are looking for that. Um, Caitlin, I would like to directly address the person who's listening, who's joining us just for this podcast episode, who's going through something difficult and and maybe hearing your story and thinking, well, that's nice for Caitlin, but I don't know if there's hope for me. What do you say to that person? Mm. I hear you, I see you, and I've been there. I've been exactly in that place of feeling that way. Um, like nobody understands and you're you're all alone. And um I would just say that God is with you. He's right there with you and he longs for you to walk with him. God wants to take your pain and your suffering and your story and whatever you've been through and whatever you're carrying. And he longs, he is the God of making all things new and redeeming lives and changing lives and bringing hope and restoring. And so he longs to take what you have been through and what you're feeling and to make it new, to redeem your story, to redeem your situation. And, um, you know, I can attest as much as I can. Um, I can tell you that that's what he has done for me in my life. And um, I know, I know if you would reach out to him and trust him and take hold of his hand and his word, he will do the same for your life. But practically speaking, I would say, you know, if you feel like you don't know where to start in finding, because we can't do it alone. You know, we have to have mm -hmm. help, like reach out to God, but we also have to surround ourselves with people who yes. walk through it with us. And so, um, you know, find a local church, find a community group, uh, a, a body of believers who you can share with and who can walk through your journey with you and help you practically day to day with things you need done, um, logistical things, things around the house. Like we have to have help in life. And there are good, good people who are following God who want to help you. And it won't be a burden to them. They want to help you and to walk with you. Speaking of helping people, I love that your next step is working toward becoming a counselor. So as we wrap up, can you tell us a little bit about what God's taking you to next? Yes. So that's been a whole nother journey on its own. But uh, I just, through the past like 10 years or so, um, I've really had a heart for um, helping others who have also been through hard things. And so 
I really feel like a calling of mine is to be a counselor and through counseling of my own throughout the years. And then, um, through not official counseling, but like just mentorship of other women and things like that. Um, I just know the healing power of being able to share completely openly and vulnerably and holding nothing back with another person. And so, um, I love, I love being that person for other people as well, um, because I've experienced such healing through my own people. And so, I am in a master's program um, at a seminary, Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, to become a counselor. I'm in internship right now, and I have about two more years left of class before I graduate and get licensed and be a counselor. So super excited about that journey as well. Thank you so much, Caitlin, for sharing your journey with us today and taking some time out of all the crazy things going on in your life as a young mom and a seminary student to share your story with us. Thank you so much for having me, Michelle. I loved getting to talk with you and um, just to share my story with all your listeners. You'll find the show notes for this episode at michellerayburn.com slash 156. And there I will have links to Caitlin's book, her website, the things we talked about in this episode. And you'll also find out more about the bonus resources that I create to go with each episode. Those are available through my email list. So anybody who's on that email list gets the bonus worksheet or the discussion questions or devotional that comes out related to the episode. And if they miss that, it's also available to people who subscribe to Life Repurposed Plus, which is through Patreon. It's a small monthly amount, basically about equal to one trip to a coffee shop to get a muffin and a coffee. And so for the contribution, the subscribers have access to every resource that I make, past worksheets, sample chapters of books, things like that. So that's all there. Everything's in the show notes, which you will find at michellerayburn.com slash 156. I hope to connect with you there because I want to keep providing bonus resources for you to help you learn how to live your life repurposed. Thank you so much for joining me today and I'll see you next time. You've been listening to Life Repurposed. If you'd like bonus resources sent to your inbox each week, be sure to sign up at michellerayburn.com 